This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And we're on. We're on. Oh, perfect timing. Both at the exact same time. That's great. We didn't have to wait for Pet Life Radio. Pet Life did not wait for you. So um, here we are live. You're welcome. Welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. You're live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's SFS with Dr. Jeff at Dr. Jeff. Think. And also uh, here on Instagram Live. Hello, everybody. I'm going to wave to you as you wave and join the show. Martin, hello. Gorgeous. Gorgeous Sunday here in LA, at least. I don't know where you happen to may be. And I'm um, here for you, here for your pets. How to get a hold of me very easily here on Pet Life Radio, 877-385-8882. You can give us a call. Or if you're watching the show here live, then you already know all you have to do is grab your pet and uh, join us here. We'd love to talk to you. Anything you want to talk about would be great. And here on uh, Instagram Live, well, you're here already. So um, just ask away. Sometimes you ask to be joined live. It doesn't work for me. Because Mr. Lack of Tech Savvy here does not, every time I, I accept somebody in, it, it takes away my video, my audio, and then I can't get it back without shutting down. So we're not, not going to do it. And um, first of all, I want to wish my, today is my son Brandon's 38th birthday. Happy birthday, BJ. He is the CEO of AirVet, our telemedicine platform. He's doing just an amazing, amazing job with AirVet. So any of you who've used it in the past know it's really cool. It's great to have. Basically, it's having a veterinarian in your back pocket 24-7, so it's fantastic. Also, by the way, here on Instagram, you can now Instagram shop. If you go to my Instagram, there's a way. To, you probably know better than I do, but you can shop. My Performance by Dr. Jeff products are now all online on Instagram. You can order directly. You can do it one at a time. It's just it's perfectly easily, and we'll get them out to you. So if you uh, want any some really, really cool products, in fact, I'm going to go today, pick some more up. I brought it to my hospital just to have. We've done this before with some of my other lines, and I'm amazed how fast this stuff is going. I mean, it's good stuff. So anyway, if you uh, if you want some good products, ear cleaners and skincare and, and supplements, and we know we have one, it's natural calming formula. I uh, used to be, my original name was the calming formula and it's valerian, passion flower, chamomile, California poppy, melatonin, right? It's really good stuff. And the name of our new one is just called chill. We want these dogs to just chill. Our ear cleaner is called hear you now. So we tried to come up with something that's kind of catchy our scratch shampoo, you know, for dogs that are scratch guy. What itch? So anyway, good stuff. And um, a replenish, which is our, uh, we have a, a mute, we have a boost, which is a, obviously a, a, like an of all multivitamin immune boost supplement. Replenish is omega-3, omega-6 fatty acids. So there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, you can get it um, online. Amazon has some of the stuff as well, but you can just shop here if you want. Anyway, let's see. While I, I get some questions, I'm, I know we have to talk about this mysterious infection that is going on, affecting a lot, a lot of dogs. So let me go back to the beginning and start. Other than waving, hello, hello, Martin O. Martin said hello to Fluffs and Scruffs. Hello. Good morning, Dr. Jeff. Any tips on how to keep our pets safe with them? Ah, good. Perfect. Perfect. I wanted to talk about it anyway. Now I'm going to talk about it. So first of all, what is it? And what we know most about it is that we don't know anything about it. And that's, I mean, it's kind of confusing, but that's the reality. Uh, the Veterinary Diagnostic Lab at uh, New Hampshire, University of New Hampshire, was doing testing on this mysterious organism. They don't think it's a virus. They actually think it's a bacterium, but they've been unable to grow it on culture 
So that makes it very challenging because it looks more like a bacterium behaving more like one than a virus. But the fact that you can't grow it, you can't test the antibiotics on it, which makes it very challenging to even try to find out how do we treat it? Because in order to grow bugs, you usually do it on what's called the blood auger plate. There are some different, in the bacteriology labs, they have different media on which they grow the bugs. Then they start testing them with little antibiotic discs, and they look at how much area, halo around the disc, does there seem to be no growth? The greater that distance, the larger that plate of non-growth is, the more effective that antibiotic is going to be. But if they can't grow it, how are you going to test the antibiotics? So that's the first challenge. So it has not yet been identified. All we can do is the following. My recommendation, and this is, I, I guess, what many of us share, is make sure, first of all, your pets are protected against the other bacteria, the other infections, the other viruses, the respiratory bugs that we can protect against. That means getting influenza vaccine for both H3N2 and the H3N8. They're usually bivalent. Most of the vaccines have both. So the para-influenza, which is part of the DA2P, the distemper parvo, the second P is for para-influenza. And of course, Bordetella bronchoseptica. So we want to keep our pets as protected as we can. And then I recommend if we have a dog, and the, the problem is this, it seems just like kennel cough, which is a Bordetella typically, just like a parainfluenza, a cold flu, which is the influenza viruses. So at first, you don't know what you're dealing with, but it's not responding to antibiotics. Now, of course, the parainfluenza and the influenza, which are viruses, are not going to respond to antibiotics anyway. We often use antibiotics to protect against secondary infection because of the compromised state that this respiratory tract, the lungs are experiencing. We want to make sure they don't get any secondary invaders that become opportunistic and take like take hold on the immune compromised animal. So we agree with the same thing. You want to definitely get them on some antibiotics. You want to keep them they're immune stimulated. You want to keep them healthy. But most importantly, until we know more, avoid putting your dog in situations where they can become exposed to this bug, whatever it is. That means minimize the dog parks, minimize the doggy daycare. If, if you can have someone come into your house, if you're going to leave town, instead of taking them to a boarding facility, do that. So because we don't have all the answers, we're just trying to be extremely, extremely protective of our dogs and very careful. Hindsight, it's interesting because I have had a few refractory cases of some respiratory bug didn't really respond to the medication. I mean, with the cough suppressant, we were able to control the cough a little bit, but we really weren't getting the response that we were expecting if it were to be, say, Bordetella. So I think we've seen it. Fortunately, I have none that have passed. This could turn into pneumonia. So you might go from just the coughing to discharge, moist discharge, sputum coming out of the, the throat or, or a, a nasal discharge you know, from the nose, like a greenish pussy, kind of like when you have a really bad cold. So these things happen. Of course, you are hearing the horror stories. So it's not a panic situation. Just be aware, you know, so be proactive and try to minimize any exposure. And hopefully this too shall pass. It's getting a lot of attention. So there are a lot of laboratories working on what we can do to hopefully identify it. First of all, what kind of bacterium is it? Even if it is one, maybe it is just a, um, a virus too. There's too much we don't know. And that's the most confusing and the most difficult part because we can't start treating and testing if we don't know what we're working against. And yeah, I mean, it makes sense, but it's frustrating. Anyway, Ruli, thank you for bringing that up because I wanted to talk about it a lot anyway. Regarding it, my dog's mouth, pink part is kind of hanging out of the bottom lip. Okay, so sometimes we see that 
if there might be some irritation, something they were chewing on, the area gets usually on the corners, if I'm not mistaken, and it's usually the lower lip. Correct me if I'm wrong, Martin, but that's usually what we see. So if that's the case, it could be just inflammation from irritation and just given time. The problem is in a case like that, and because of its location, you can't like rub anything on it. I mean, anything you put on it, if it was almost any other part of the body, you can rub something on it that might help. The piracin, uh, triple antibiotic ointment, some first aid spray, something. <laughs> what is right, right there? Give it up. You're not going to do it. to lick it right off. You got to be really careful what you put it around this mouth anyway. So it's really hard. Hopefully it will resign. If it's really infected, then of course we want to start some antibiotics and maybe an anti-inflammatory if it's very, very swollen and impeding their ability to eat. If it is, then we need to be a little bit more aggressive about it. Otherwise, you know me, I'm a tincture of time kind of guy. I'm not too worried about it as long as it's just that. If you want to send me a picture, send me a picture to my Instagram and I'll take a look at it. Pepsid 10 milligrams helps. So Pepsid is interesting. It says, how does Pepsid 10 milligram help my dog, my old dog? So, so basically, we have a lot of, not just older dogs, but dogs that have some sort of reflux uh, disease, the equivalent of a, a human GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. So this is where they bring up that acidy discharge coming up from the stomach, goes into the back of the throat, and sometimes they'll even vomit. Now, remember, when we think about our heartburn, that's in essence, that's what it is. But we are vertical creatures by nature. So when that starts, starts coming up our, our esophagus and hits about mid chest, we feel it, it burns, we get that burning sensation. We call it heartburn. It has nothing to do with the heart, nothing to do with the heart. But it's called heartburn because it's, it stings right there. People think it's the heart, it's not. Dogs, however, are horizontal creatures by nature. So when it starts coming up, it's going to come all the way up. And you will see that yellow bile that stuff in the, often in the morning. So that, and it's uncomfortable for them. Sometimes they'll actually spit up or vomit whatever was in their stomach at the time. So the whole idea of the Pepsid is as an anti and antacid. Now, one thing that, that one of my good friends, colleagues, I speak to about him often, who is a board certified veterinary internist, he is not as big a fan of the Pepsid. He likes the Prilosec Omeprazole better. I recommend either or. The over-the-counter Pepsid is usually 10 milligram. And I usually give, start with a half or a quarter, depending on the size of the dog. If it's a very small dog, it's a quarter. And the omeprazole, Prilosec, Prilosec OTC over the counter comes 20 milligrams. And I again, I start that in half. Usually the Prilosec is a once a day. Pepsid is going to be twice a day. But speak to your veterinarian and, and see what he or she thinks. I'm fine either way. Because of my conversation with Dr. Feldman, I am actually moving more towards the Prilosec. It's also so readily available. And it's very helpful. Uh, one thing I also recommend, if we have a dog that's having issues with this esophageal reflux in the morning, it's usually because they have empty stomach. They go to bed, empty stomach. They're fed at five or six o'clock. By the time they go to bed, it's 11, 12 o'clock, empty stomach. That's when this happens more. What I recommend is putting aside about a quarter to a third of dinner and feeding it to them around 10, 11 o'clock before you go to bed. And before that, maybe 15 minutes before that, that's when you give your Pepsid or your Prilosec. You want to have something in the stomach when they go to bed, some ingesta. So when that gastric surge of secretion happens, it'll have ingesta to work on and it won't keep creeping up because the stomach was empty up into the esophagus. So that helps as well. So it's having some food, late night snack, pre-administration of either the Prilosec or the Pepsid and see how that works. All right, Martin, thanks, Ham to you. Hope you had a good weekend. Hello, Steve. All right, that's back-to-back -back classmates right there. So uh, Martin and Steve. 
nine-year-old dog has been struggling with ear infection in the same ear. He was ear drops, two doses, 30-day medicine, had ear hematoma, went to the vet three times last week. So first of all, interestingly, I am seeing also a lot of persistent ear infections and usually only one side, which is a little unusual. So without seeing it, my normal, my approach would be, first of all, culture and take a cytology sample of the ear discharge. Are we dealing with a bacterial infection? A bad one, sometimes like pseudomonas. Are we dealing with the yeast infection, malassezia, which is the more common or a combination of both? Next up is keeping the ear really clean, having it thoroughly professionally clean, maybe even flushed out so you can clearly see the tympanum. Here's where it gets a little tricky. And again, my show, my recommendation, talk to your own veterinarian. I went to a talk on ears a number of years ago. We know that with all these new anti-allergy medications, we have Apricol, we have Cytopoint, work very well. We are usually not supposed to use steroid along with them. But his point was when it comes to ears, none of the stuff works. So we therefore have to be extremely aggressive. And sometimes that even means using some steroid to decrease the inflammation. The ear is not going to respond. The medications aren't going to work in a very inflamed ear. And the best anti-inflammatory for ears is good old-fashioned steroid. So what I do is, even though they're already maybe on for the rest of the body, they're on the apoquilla, they're on the cytopoint, I will put them on a course of steroid, a short course, decreasing dose. We got to hit that inflammation in order to allow everything to work, to open up the ears, let them breathe easier. So that is what I've been doing. Now, I have sent a few to a specialist, and even though it's only one ear, and they are often changing the diet. And I find that also very interesting. So we do know that with food allergy, one of the culprit's focus points is going to be the ears. So even though it's only one ear, my last one that I sent, they went to a, a hypoallergenic type or a, a novel protein diet. And guess what? She said the ear looks better than it has in, in the longest time. So something to think about. If you're having persistent chronic problems, I would definitely recommend maybe asking for referral to a board-certified dermatologist because the ones that we have here, as I said, one of them solved the problem. And I've been all these things I did. We had very compliant owners, very persistent with their homework, the things they had to do at home with the cleaning and the cleaning out the ears and the medication, putting in the medication. And still, it would work for a while and then kept coming back. So not an easy problem. And um let's see, hematoma, right? I mean, uh, hematoma, I don't know if they trained the hematoma or corrected it. Here's my two cents about that. I always will try draining it first. And I tell the owner, there is about a one or 2% chance that it's going to work. With hematomas, I find that the only long-term real prevention and treatment is going to be surgery. Here's what happens if you don't do surgery. So what's in that hematoma, that blood, you know what, time out. I'm going to keep you guessing. Because it's 919, time for our break, our commercial break, four minutes over, story of my life. I'm going to be late to my own funeral. So I'm always late cutting out for the break here. But anyway, don't go away. We're going to talk about the hematomas when we come back afterwards from our sponsors here on Pet Life Radio. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. 
For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And we're back. On the break, we just talked about professional dental cleaning versus the non-anesthesia dental cleaning. Spoke about it before. My take-home is you need to get anesthesia. If you're going to use your, your main cleaning, should always be thorough cleaning with anesthesia. The only way to get under the gum line and to do a thorough job. If at the midway point, say three to six months, if you want to just to get the surface of the teeth cleaned and get all that tartar and that calculus off, do you want to go those other places? Yeah, that'll be okay, but don't rely solely on those. Okay, let's talk about the finished discussion on hematomas. So when, when you have a hematoma, well, when, you, when your dog has a hematoma, or even your cat, one of my cats I did hematoma surgery on. So what is it? It is a blood, huge blood blister, and it's filled with blood, which has a number of components. First of all, you have blood cells, okay? Then you have the serum, all right, plasma, and then you have fibrin. Well, here's what happens. What happens to blood cells after the three to five to seven days? They're dead. They're gone. So what's left? You have the plasma, the serum, and you have the fibrin. What's going to happen to serum? It's going to resorb. Well, you've heard of seromas. You have a surgery. There's a, some dead space. The body fills up. You can drain it. Ultimately, it's going to resorb. But what sticks around is going to be the fibrin. Now, I'm sure many of you have seen it. It's very unsightly. Many of you guys, if there are guys out there that wrestled, you may have it before starting. Everyone has to wear the ear protectors, but that's called cauliflower ear, all right, or wrestler's ear. And that's because their ears are being taken, they're crunched, and that's how a hematoma that is left to its own devices is going to heal. It's going to completely contort the ear unpredictably. There's no way to control it. So there the problem is when it does that big, thickened scarring, it can occlude the opening of the ear canal from the outside to the inside, and you are going to have years of horrendous ear infections, and you'll be becoming a slave to your pet's ears. And it's not the right way to do it. So do I usually drain it once? Yeah. Do I let the owner know from the get-go? Not going to work. If you're a lucky person, maybe it will. And if it does, hit Vegas next week because you maybe get lucky again. But usually it's not going to work. It's going to come back, and it's going to need surgery. So the fact that it's been drained twice, uh, I usually give it once and I predict that it's not going to work. And then we schedule the surgery. So at this point, 100%, you got to do the surgery. You don't want to wait that long. You don't want fibrin sitting around. And the way what we do, there are different techniques, putting a, a, a teeth cannula in. I don't like that one. I've done it. I don't like it. I do the good old fashioned way. I basically create what's called a mattress from the back of the ear to the front of the ear, from the inside of the ear to the outside, and I eliminate the dead space. The, the reason is you can never identify which bleeder or usually bleeders are feeding that hematoma. So you can't stop it because you can't see which one. And they're usually many of them. So what you do is because you can't stop them from filling up the space, let's eliminate the space. And if you just take the space away by compressing the front and the back of the ear so tight that it can't fill up with blood, all right, so you go through and through sutures, and um, that's the way we treat it. And still to this day, I found nothing that is any better. 11 year old dog with a heart murmur, is it safe to get a dental? All right, so first of all, my short answer is yes. Now, let's be a little, dig a little deeper into the murmur. 
First of all, when you have a dog, 11-year-old with a murmur, first of all, 11. What was the last time it had a blood test? Make sure the blood and urine are good. So we're dealing at least with a healthy animal. Then, depending on the murmur, take an x-ray. Now, if the heart is normal size, the dog is showing no clinical signs whatsoever, then I have no qualms. We have really great anesthetics now. And understand one thing, that you don't want to ignore bad teeth. Because when you have dogs that get endocarditis, bacterial endocarditis, that's an infection of the heart valves, do you know where those bugs originated? The mouth. So you can't ignore the bad mouth. That's an accident waiting to happen, especially if the valves are already failing and have a murmur. That means there is already some compromise of these valves. Why do you want to subject them to a bunch of bacteria? So you've got to clean the mouth. And I use these dogs. I will start them on antibiotics first for a few days prior to the dentistry and then continue for seven to 10 days after the dentistry. And that's even with routine dental if they have murmurs. Now, if the heart is enlarged on x-ray, if there are any signs like coughing, dry coughing, exercise intolerance, then the answer is I won't do anything until an echocardiogram is done. We have a, a board certified veterinary cardiologist who comes into my office, or I can send you, or your vet can send you to a cardiologist, get an echocardiogram done. All right. The days of using x-ray and EKG alone as our diagnostic aids to determine the degree of heart disease, that is passe. It's not going to give us the information we need. The best way to get it is an echocardiogram, just like in people. I mean, we don't do cardiac MRI. I mean, they could be done, but I've never had a reason to do that. But with echocardiography, not only do we get to see the heart in action, they can take measurements of the blood flow through the valves, through the heart, leaving the vessels. You can see the actual heart beating. You can see the wall thickness. When you take an x-ray and the heart's this big, you have no idea to know how much of that size is wall thickness or thinness in the case of like dilated cardiomyopathy, right? Or is it just, is it normal wall thickness, just the heart's big because it's a muscle and it's overworking and that's what happens. The heart gets really big. So with an echocardiography, you can get all these answers. So my short answer is yes, but as the degree of heart disease, right, gets bigger and greater, then we need to do some more diagnostics before the dentistry. Cost of a dental, it depends. Routine dentals, and I, you know, there are so many places now. I'm hearing over a thousand dollars for us. A routine dental is probably six fifty to seven fifty, depending on the size of the animal. Now, if we need dental X-rays, that might add another hundred fifty bucks. If there are extractions, of course, that's going to add post-op antibiotics. That's going to add. If you have a lot of extractions and a bad teeth, oh, it could go up to even fifteen hundred dollars. If you go to a board-certified dentist, oh, they're up to like two thousand dollars now. So yes. So we're, I'm going to end with another discussion. I'm going to say hi first. Yeah, if it's big again, yeah, you got to do surgery. Got to do surgery. If you have any questions, you reach out to me personally. Privately, I will talk to you about it and uh, give you my two cents. All right. Uh, before I say goodbye to everybody, boy, a lot of visitors say thank you so much. This is great. Okay. So let's talk really about this dog virus one more time because some of you came on after my morning's discussion and I want to make sure everybody hears about it. First thing I can tell you is we don't know a lot about it. In fact, it's not even a virus. Well, I shouldn't say that. The most recent data coming out of the veterinary diagnostic lab at University of New Hampshire says that it's a bacterium. But it, the problem is they have been unable to grow it on culture media. So in order first to determine, identify it, and then to determine what antibiotics we need to use, we need to grow it in some sort of auger plate, right? Something that will allow the growth. So then the antibiotic discs can be tested so we can know what's the best treatment for it. And to that 
So, so far at this point, we don't have those answers. But as I said, they identified it more, the bacteriologists there identified it more as a bacterium versus a virus. Now, what to do? Since we don't have a treatment, we always say, what's the best treatment of all? Prevention. So here too, we need to minimize the exposure of dogs to other dogs until we know more about it. What does this mean? That means minimize dog parks. On walks, just try to keep away from other dogs. Doggy daycare, nah. Boarding facilities, nah. Groomers, nah. So you gotta, you gotta just be a little more careful until we know more about it. We don't have a vaccine for it, so we can't make a vaccine until we know what it is and how it works and how it grows. So right now, keep up to date on the vaccines that we can do something, the respiratory vaccines. We're talking Bordetella bronchoseptica. We're talking the parainfluenza, which is usually part of the DA2PP, that second P. First P is parvo, second P is parainfluenza. We're talking the, the bivalent influenza vaccine, which is H3N8 and H3N2. So these at least protect your pet from those things that already might cause compromise to the respiratory tracts. All right, then avoid exposure, as I said. And I would, if your dog is coughing, I would control the cough medically, talk to your vet. Tussigan, Hycodan is probably the best. And also I would still put them on one of the antibiotics we might use for Bordetella, and that is doxycycline or Clavamox, typically the most favorite. Mine now was Clav, now it's, I'm using more doxy. And so do the best you can to minimize exposure and to protect your pets against secondary infection and protect them really against the other respiratory diseases that might expose your compromised dog to one of these, to this new one, which we don't know much about. So I hope that answers your question. We don't know a lot about it, unfortunately. And as we learn more about it, I will be happy to share it with you. You're hearing a lot about it in the news. So all I can say is stay tuned. Anyway, uh, once again, happy birthday to my son, Brandon, 38 years today. And um, whatever noise you heard in the background, I apologize in advance because those were three of my five grandkids. All, all, of course, all three of the boys were here last night, giving Brandon and Angel a night out so they can go to dinner and not be worried with the kids. They were here. And then my, my youngest daughter's son was here. So uh, yeah, for them, it was camp. For me, it was misery. But no, it's really fun having, uh, having them here. But a quiet house. <laughs> What's a quiet house? I forgot. Anyway, and once again, if you want to shop for my products, you can, now we have them on Instagram. You can just go to shop. Uh, you probably could find better than I can. And uh, anyway, they're really good stuff. If you have any questions about them, please feel free to reach out to me and I will help you through them. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel here on Instagram Live and Pet Life Radio. Once again, thank you to Mark, our producer, for always producing such a great show here on Pet Life Radio. And these are all available, by the way. All these are stored. I, I don't know how many I have now, Mark, over 300. I mean, I, I have a lot. So if you want to see some old shows, be my guest. Come to Pet Life Radio. Ask the best of Dr. Jeff, and you can see uh, all our old shows as well. All right. Stay well. Stay healthy. Hopefully your dog. Stay well. Stay healthy. Cats as well. See you next week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.